Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we assemble to explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our sixth season, we are looking at The Avengers. I'm Andy Nelson from the Next Real Film Podcast. And I'm Pete Wright. And this, today, we get the rightful beginning of this movie. (laughs) That's right. Today, we are talking about Minute Two, which begins with the end of the other's monologue and ends with Fury's arrival. The end of the other's monologue just sounds all broken. I know. The end of the other's monologue. All right. Um, so, Pete, before we start, before we begin, yeah. I yeah. Uh, I was going to do this yesterday, and uh, we was going a little long, so I figured we would just do it today. I wanted to just real quickly talk through the timeline for all of our key Avenger characters, sure, just so we have a sense as to kind of the timeline. I know we mentioned a little bit about kind of Nick's uh, you know, busy week that he had, uh, but just looking at where things According to the wiki, when things ha- when things started happening, where people are, etc. So it all starts February 13th, 2009, when Tony Stark gets kidnapped by the Ten Rings. And then he escapes May 1st. And then the rest of the Iron Man story runs through November 25th, 2009, when he tells the news that he is Iron Man. That is when Nick Fury visits him and talks to him about the Avengers initiative. So starting November 25th, 2009. Obviously, just as a caveat to all of this, we know that there's a whole lot of other stuff that's been going on that we find out in later films. We're just specifically at this point talking about these five films leading up to this point. For sure. Just a side note, I did find this on the wiki. February 25th, 2010, that's when Maria Hill was issued her S.H.I.E.L.D. badge. Oh. Now you know. Yeah, so she's only been working with Nick a few years. Not very long. Not very long. May 21st, 2010, this is when Tony meets his new personal assistant, Natalie Rushman, who, of course, we find out is actually Black Widow, Natasha Romanoff. Black Widow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. May 29th, 2010, this is when Bruce Banner gets through U.S. Customs from his time in Central and South America. So everyone's kind of working their way up. Right. It was like he was a whole different person back then. (laughs) (laughs) Who who was that guy? (laughs) Uh, May 31st, so a couple days later... Uh, Odin casts Thor out of Asgard, sending him down to Earth to learn some lessons. That's also the same day that Tony has his big battle at the Stark Expo, and Black Widow infiltrates Hammer Industries headquarters. Okay. The next day, Clinton Barton uh, had been sent by Nick to New Mexico, and this is when he arrives to help Coulson out. And that's where Hawkeye, we, we see for the first time in the films, we see him in Thor, as Thor is infiltrating the S.H.I.E.L.D. compound, and he's trying to figure out if he should shoot or not. And, of course, In the maze of tents. In the maze of tents. That's the hamster maze. That's right. The next day, Hulk and Emil Blonsky fight at Clover University, and it I think it was in the comics where it's revealed that Natasha had actually been sent by Nick to watch what's going on and to be there in case somebody needed help. So she's actually there watching. At Culver University. At Culver University. She's watching the two of them fight and just on the ready in case she's needed. But we don't know that in the MCU. Correct. I think that's revealed in a, in a you know, one of the prelude comics or something. Tie-in things, yeah. That's the same day that the battle at Puente Antiguo happens between Thor and the Destroyer. Okay. And when Thor goes back to Asgard and duels with Loki on the bridge. So... <laughs> Thor is fighting with the destroyer of Antiguo while the Hulk is fighting Blonsky at Culver University. Exactly. And 
those stories don't cross one another in the media. <laughs> it just feels <laughs> like those would be <laughs> those would be things that maybe get some coverage. You'd think in, they in should each other's movies. You'd think they I should. Think. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, so anyway, Loki. That's the day, as we talked about in our last minute yesterday. That's when Loki falls into the wormhole and apparently is drifting through space for a few years before somehow he ends up in Sanctuary. So several days later, June 4th, that's when um, Hulk and uh, Abomination battle in Harlem. The next day, the World Security Council grants Fury the funds that he needs for S.H.I.E.L.D. to examine the Tesseract and put into action the Avengers Initiative. Now things are starting to move toward this Avengers Initiative, which I guess, I don't know, he told Tony about it November 25th, 2009, and I guess it took until this point to see what had happened in Harlem for the World Security Council to say, okay, you know what, I guess you can have some funds for it, I guess. Right, (laughs) right. They're not the most responsive. They're not, they're not. Two days later, June 7th, that's when Fury approaches Eric Selvig about helping with the Tesseract, and that's also where we see that Loki is controlling Selvig's mind at that particular point in time. Again, from where? Who knows? Was he on Sanctuary? Was he in some other place and astral projecting himself to control Eric's mind? We don't know, but that's what was happening, and that's how he knows, I guess, that the Tesseract is there. I guess this is a question. It makes it seem like Thanos didn't know the Tesseract was there, and Loki sees it at that particular point, and maybe he's the one who tells Thanos that it's there? Oh, that's naughty. But I'm, that's got to be the that's got to be the only way to explain it. Which also makes me wonder if Thanos doesn't realize that it's the Infinity Stone yet, which maybe makes sense why Thanos doesn't go himself to get it. Yeah. Because Thanos, every other experience we have with Thanos, he's very hands-on. Very hands-on, right. Yeah. All right. So anyway, um, a month later, almost, July 5th, 2010, this is when Tony goes to talk to General Ross about getting Emil Blonsky on the team. But he manages to piss General Ross off, so he will not release Blonsky to S.H.I.E.L.D. This, of course, was all that Marvel one-shot where you have Coulson and Sitwell basically in in the diner talking about all of this. It's that whole setup. So... And so, Blonsky is not going to be released, and I guess the Hulk will be. Okay, so now they're slowly getting a team. No Blonsky, but you've got Tony, obviously Black Widow, and Clint at this point. So those three are on board, and Nick is trying to figure out what to do with this team. A little later that year, December 15th, that's when Tony starts working on Stark Tower in New York City. Mm -hmm. October 5th, now we're jumping almost a year October 5th, 2011, this is when the Valkyrie is discovered in the Arctic, along with Captain America. October 6th, uh, Clint is sent to babysit Eric Selvig at this testing facility, which we're looking at here. The next day, October 7th, 2011, this is when Steve wakes up. This is what we see at the very end of Captain America, and that's when Nick recruits him to join his team. Now we jump from October 2011 to April 2012. Loki makes a deal with Thanos, and interestingly, and I think this was in one of the comics, Frigga realizes that he's alive. She tries to communicate with him in Sanctuary. He refuses to respond, but 
She tells Odin and Thor that Loki is alive. She tells Odin and Thor that Loki is alive, which is why uh, Thor goes to find Loki in the first place, landing on the plane later in the movie. Exactly. That's how all of that happens. And of course, there's no Rainbow Bridge, so we'll we'll talk about that later when Thor actually does arrive as to how he gets here. And well, and I think this is a very good question. And I have to ask this question. Why, Andy, is this movie made in any way better not telling us that that's how Thor finds his way to Loki? Like, why is that in a comic tie-in? It, there, are, there are a lot of little things. I mean, it's interesting. I mean, they, they throw a lot of this stuff in comics. Some of it is just, um, you know, pieces that you kind of pull from all these different movies as you're building it together. But sure, sure. And obviously, there's one shots that we're including in this. So they kind of spread this stuff out. It's like talking about the Matrix films and then talking about the Animatrix and going, okay, well, if that happened in the Animatrix, what does this mean for the Matrix? And so I guess it's one of those sense of scope of world building. So totally. I just I just think it's important to at least note that some of these questions that the filmmakers are asking, it's important to at least litigate whether or not the, the decision they came to to move that decision out of the narrative and put it in something else uh, was a good one. And I think some of them in this movie, it was not a good one. I think it's helpful to know some of the background that they chose to omit and put elsewhere. You know, I think the movie would be better if it had a little bit more of an explainer to it in in some cases. And I think we're going to run into more of these questions. So I'm just setting it up. Foundationally, I want to poke at those things. One of the interesting things about that is the fact, and we talked about this in yesterday's minute, the fact that they were still figuring this out as they are going along. And obviously, when you watch the Marvel one shot about Blonsky, when we saw that it wasn't really a post credit scene, but kind of end of the movie in The Incredible Hulk, when when Tony shows up to talk about General Ross, the audience is meant to think that Tony is trying to get Bruce Banner, Hulk, to kind of join the team. It's only that one shot that switches the entire story and repaints it. Uh, after the fact to go, oh, it's actually Emil Blonsky that they're trying to recruit. Yeah. And so it's interesting. Like they start trying to figure out ways, okay, but what if we did this to kind of cover that up, you know? And it's. Well, and also that's a different kind of twist. And I think that's a good one. Like that repainting perspectives is really fun. Sure. Just like background, like how the hell did he know to like go, to go get him on that plane? It's just magic and Thor Odin magic. I don't know. But it, knowing that there was a connection between uh, these two characters through their mother might have been an interesting nod. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. OK, I definitely agree. All right. OK. All right. So anyway, that all is basically kind of setting up. Now we've got all of our players. We kind of have a sense as to how all of this has been going over the last few years. Uh, as far as where people are. And now we're in this situation where uh, we're still coming in at the beginning of this minute with the other pitching to Thanos about their plans, uh, which, again, doesn't really seem to tie in at all with Loki (laughs) at this point. Other than Loki, I guess what they're saying is Loki gets Earth, you get the universe. That's kind of and again, he doesn't even say Loki. If if you're not a careful watcher, you probably don't even know that he's handing the scepter to Loki because you can barely make out that kind of green and gold outfit. But otherwise, it's like he gave the scepter to some guy. I didn't get to see who it was. Somebody's going to get Earth. Somebody somebody else I don't know is going to get the universe. <laughs> and I'm talking. And all I know is I'm hearing a voice of a guy who I've only seen his back. <laughs> 
He's got his green robes, though, which means you only actually know who he's handing it to in rewatch. Because in rewatch. Yeah. And by then, by the time you finish this movie, you've already forgotten that the movie actually opened with this weird post-credit, pre-credit scene. <laughs> and you thought that it just opened with the helicopter flying over the ridge and into the dark energy research facility. Yes, yes, yes. Which yes. is where the movie should start in the first place. Where the movie should start. Absolutely. Well, let's jump to that. So we're going to the mountain range and we see a helicopter. It flies over the top of the mountain range. The camera comes up and over and we see, as it's scripted, a shield slash NASA facility that is actually, as you said, it's the Joint Dark Energy Mission Western Division. Uh, This is all part of Project Pegasus and the NASA Space Radiation Facility and the Shield Accelerator Test Facility. A lot of stuff going on in this one particular place. And the place comes back and we, you know, we we see the place throughout the the rest of the universe, uh, the MCU. It comes back a few times. Not in the future, though. It's only in stories that take place in the past because it kind of exactly. Yeah, it kind of we're watching them evacuate as we we come to it right now. That's actually a really good point. (laughs) We see it it comes back in later movies that are filmed (laughs) earlier that that take place earlier. Yeah. Good note. Good note. Important note. Yeah. Uh, And I, I guess that's a good question. Like, what do you think of the idea of coming into a situation that seems Seems like we're in the middle of some situation that's happening. What is going on? Do I need to know? Or is this just designed to kind of get me curious and get me excited? Like, how, do, how does it strike you? I love it. I love it so much. I love the drama of the helicopter flying over the ridge, the facility sprawling out with all the lights on. I think it's a great setup. Everybody is clearly in a state of urgency. I think it's fantastic. And, uh, you know, I love knowing what is going on. There's something going on here that is so important and so powerful that everybody needs to run from place to place. That's cool. And we get the hero shot of uh, our, our favorite characters getting off the helicopter. I'm in like I I am I am involved in the story immediately. Well, I agree. I think coming into a story this way and we'll talk about this more tomorrow once our characters start talking, but it already feels like something is happening. There's an energy of action. You might call it like a dark energy. You might call it a dark energy. Dark. Yeah, very, very much so. Well, it is very dark (laughs) on screen. That's for sure. For sure. But but there is this this um, uh, frantic energy of everybody running around and you don't know what you're coming into. And I think that's an interesting way to start the film because it does allow for you to immediately start asking questions. Yeah. And it puts our character. We know our characters are getting to work like our favorite character. Like we get Nick Fury and he's about to go to work. We get to see him in action immediately. Uh, and that's that's good. We don't have to dance around. What does this guy do all day? It's not just walking around and recruiting people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> which, which is kind of what we've seen him doing mostly. Absolutely. Up to this point, yeah. Um, Agent Coulson is here, so we get him too. But he's dressed like Neo from The Matrix. <laughs> yes, I, I, I love that he's got the shades on at night yep. uh, at this facility. The lights are just so bright here, Pete. They're so, so bright. bright. These shield Photophobic. lights. They have special so shield photophobic. lights. <laughs> yeah, they're shield lights. And we get Agent Maria Hill. Now, we talked about her in yesterday's minute because she is in the alternate opening for the film. But this is where we are getting introduced to the character of Agent Maria Hill in the films. And you know what that means, Pete? What does it mean, Andy? 
it means we're doing the IMDb game for Kobe Smolders. Yes, it does. Ah, uh, Kobe Smolders, IMDb game. <laughs> Pete, if you had to guess, what would you say are the four projects that Kobe Smolders is most known for? Well, I, I struggle with this, but uh, mostly because I don't know many other movies that Kobe Smolders has done. I have to imagine How I Met Your Mother is on that list at some point. I have to imagine that. It would be, it would be an insane uh, fracture of IMDb not to include How I Met Your Mother in her known for. It would be the, it would, it would relegate IMDb to one of the stupidest uh, <laughs> services on the internet. And we know, Andy, that IMDb is not one of those incredibly insipid services. It's a high-performing website that knows what known for should mean. So am I right about that? Is How I Met Your Mother on the list? She was in 208 episodes of How I Met Your Mother, Pete. Robin Shabatsky. Uh, yep. yep. And it is not one of her four known fours. <laughs> What is IMDb doing? Oh, my God. What are they doing? Oh, my Uh, God. We know they have some wacky uh, algorithm that kind of puts things up for their known fours, but to not have that on there as her number one, I would say should be her number one. It is her number one. And it's not on there. Well, so I'm going to go with uh, Avengers, this one, and uh, I am assuming... Other Avengers, Age of Ultron? Yes. The Avengers and Avengers Age of Ultron are both on her known for. I have absolutely no clue what anything else that she would be on there. Well, I will tell you, um, you know, one of our other shows that we have uh, is the film board in which we talk about current releases. This was one that she did in 2016 with Tom Cruise, and we talked about it. And I <gasps> Jack think Reacher. Jack Reacher, never uh, ne- go back. Ne- never watch a Jack Reacher mover again. Never watch, never watch Jack, Jack Reacher, Reacher, never, never, watch never again. go back again. Yeah, right. Yeah, it was... Uh, <laughs> wow, We, we had right. some issues with that one. But yeah, she was in that. Last but not least, Pete, it is a film called Safe Haven. Are you familiar with Safe Haven? No, that's a made-up movie. Lasse Hallstrom film from 2013. A young woman with a mysterious past lands in Southport, North Carolina, where her bond with a widower forces her to confront the dark secret that haunts her. Wow. Julianne Huff, Josh DeHamel, and Kobe Smolters. Safe haven. Wow. Haven't heard of it, but interesting. That beats out How I Met Your Mother. (laughs) I cannot. I I cannot believe that. Yeah, I yeah, I'm not that familiar with her career either, but I absolutely would have said how I met your mother. I've never even seen the show. I just know (laughs) she's like the woman in it. Yeah, she is a central, central character in the group of characters. She's a central character. (laughs) So, yeah, very peculiar, very peculiar. Uh, IMDb. Anyway. All right. So our next uh, thing that we're tasked with, Pete, is when do we actually learn that this is Maria Hill? So we're going to have to remember because we don't at this point, no one speaks. She's not identified, though. So we'll just kind of pay attention. At what point does somebody say Maria Hill? Okay. All right. So she and Nick Fury arrive. It's not this minute. It is not this minute for sure. I will say, to your point, I really love that we get this fantastic power shot where we're low to the ground as she and Nick Fury get out of the helicopter. It's a great shot. Uh, fantastically constructed. And, you know, I mean, we are listening. We haven't mentioned, but Alan Silvestri's iconic 
Avengers theme starts in this minute. And we get that slow build, and we're getting the kind of like that driving energy of the theme as they're getting off the helicopter. It really sells this moment very, very well. For sure. The location, too, is great. Do you want to talk about NASA for real just for a second? Uh, well, we can talk about NASA for real, but we're not actually in NASA yet. Do you know where we are? No, we're not. We're at some weird school. <laughs> we're at high school. It cracks me up to no end that for this, I mean, you know, they were filming a lot of stuff for uh, Thor in New Mexico. So it makes sense. They're trying to find other locations there. They filmed all of this exterior here at a high school in New Mexico. Uh, We are at the Atrisco Heritage Academy High School. It is south, southwest of Albuquerque proper, I believe. and. It, it, I mean, it really has kind of this cool look to it. It's very cool. Yeah, it's sure. very cool. It's got kind of a whole bunch of big buildings. It has on one side, and then on the other side, it's all these kind of curved buildings coming around with a great big courtyard in the middle, which is where we're spending the bulk of our time. So all of this is filmed at this high school, which does not have a bank of satellites behind it. And it does not have a cliff in front of it. So a lot of digital. (laughs) The producers are real sorry that we cratered your school. That's (laughs) right, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder how meme that is at the school, like when when kids get bad grades or something. I wonder how fast this clip of the school (laughs) being destroyed gets gets sent around on Instagram. Right. That's funny. Uh, Absolutely. Um, but no, that's where we're seeing here. And uh, yeah, we'll talk about these other scenes that we get because NASA definitely gets involved, which is fantastic. Yeah. Just we'll fantastic. talk about that in a minute. Yeah. Project Pegasus is on the sign, Pete. Do you know about Project yeah. Pegasus? What, what does Project Pegasus mean, Andy? Project Pegasus stands for the Project Potential Energy Group Alternate Sources United States. And we've seen we've seen of Project Pegasus in future movies set in the past. We have right specifically <laughs> Captain Marvel. Uh, it right. is it is the big uh, point of that film. Uh, Wendy Lawson, who is the project leader in the eighties, who is actually Marvel the Cree. Um, she uses the Tesseract's energy. Oh, we, I didn't say Project Pegasus. The whole point of it was to study the Tesseract and harness its power. So they do that in the 80s. And, of course, they build the light speed engine uh, as a whole thing of the Kree-Skull War. We'll talk about that in many seasons in the future when we talk about Captain Marvel. But that's when Project Pegasus was created. And then it was terminated in 1989 after Marvell died. And then, as I was talking about earlier in this episode... The uh, World Security Council funds Nick Fury to uh, start the S.H.I.E.L.D. initiative and to reactivate Pegasus to uh, harness the power of the Tesseract. So all of that is going on again. I don't know. I guess it makes me wonder if the whole idea was brought to fruition because he kind of connected with Eric Selvig. Like, I I guess I'm not really sure. Like, why, why did it ever stop? the study of it that's actually a really good question well wait in which timeline not timeline in which what period why did it stop originally or why did it stop again why did it stop okay well i mean conveniently it all happens when a movie is around (laughs) like from the time howard finds it and pulls it out of the out of the arctic sea 
it's just sitting at, at the at Camp Lehigh facility, and people are like, well, one day we'll figure out what to do with that. Hey, we've got this lady in 1980 who showed up. Let's have her help. let's have her do it it. and she's dead well let's put it back in the box yeah yeah Uh, i guess they couldn't find i don't know i guess that's you know it's one of those things it's needed for the movie and so it's just in a in a storage container in the back of (laughs) some shield closet until they need it but you know what it feels very much like a raiders of the lost ark moment right like she things went south in captain marvel right like things went south for marvel in in research around this energy and i it it doesn't surprise me at all that the powers that be would say uh you know what we need to put this in a crate with a big stamp on it and send it to the back <laughs> of the warehouse for a while right like we're not ready we're not ready for this we're not so ready. let's put it away yeah. Uh, it, like I, I that that's not a thing that I question along okay. The, okay. the process. Well, and maybe, and I can't remember if there was a specific thing at the end of Captain Marvel that talked about it. Um, I'm going to need to look at that film again sometime yeah. while, over the course of the season just to see. We need to look at the end of that. Yeah, it, it, but anyway, they haven't touched it until like we don't see the Tesseract again until. That moment at the end of Thor, when uh, Nick Fury um, invites Eric Selvig to start helping, and so my my, I guess the way that I read that is when Nick Fury starts hearing Eric Selvig talking about dark energy and all this sort of stuff, he kind of goes, ah, "You know what? There's that thing we should pull out again, right? And start right. fiddling and around with." It is. It is the answer to the question: Why did you? Why did you start building weapons? Because of him that we get later in this movie. Be- when when Nick Fury points at Thor and says, "You taught us that there was stuff out there that we don't understand and cannot fight, good guys and bad guys." I need to, you know, dust off this project because this is the thing that I think is related to our challenges. And Nick Fury is the constant from that period to this one. So of course he would know. Yeah, but of course, he already knew in Captain Marvel that things were out there. So anyway, we'll just put that okay, aside. I see what you're doing. I see what you're doing. <laughs> you're last wording me. I'm going to give it to you this time. I'm just saying, somebody was no, already yeah. out there and he knew about so, it. <laughs> and then all of a sudden Thor showed up. Whoa! Pa- paperwork. He wasn't in a position of authority yet. He had not been given. He was quiet quitting. He was quiet quitting. He, because what he what was happened very is, sad he heard Maria Hill eye. was out for his job. He's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> I'm going to get this box and we're going to start playing around with it again. <laughs> yes. Yes. That's what happened. That's what happened. All right. Somebody write that in a comic. <laughs> Quick. Last thing here. I do like quite a bit that as they're getting out of the helicopter, I was like, oh, it's kind of a little bit of a touch angle, too. Look at that. Yeah. Thanks, Kenneth Brana, for throwing those into the mix here at uh, the MCU. Kenneth, you've shown us what we're allowed to do. That's right. I love it. It's beautiful. Yep, yep. Yeah. Good use of silhouettes, too. I think the lighting of the school around the dark energy mission, right? I think that it's just everything looks good, and I love the soldiers running by, and I think they're lit, you know, darkly against bright surfaces. It, it's compelling, and again, it feels like electricity, you know, moving along a circuit. I think it's cool. I think it's all very cool. Yeah. A lot of energy. I like the way that it. It brings us into this situation where we just feel like, what the hell's going on? I also like, even though we know it's New Mexico, when we do see the license plate of one of the Acuras with the Acura logo, <laughs> nice and prominent. Thank you, Acura. The license plate just says exempt 
and it has a shield logo on it instead of an actual state. I'm like, okay, that's a good way to just say this it, there this is this is everywhere and nowhere all at once. All at once. That's right. All right. Well, let's uh, let's call it quits for today. We'll be back tomorrow to talk about minute 3. So, Pete, thanks as always. Thanks, Annie. I hope tomorrow's energy is just a little lighter. (laughs) Until next time, true believers. Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson. This week's music is Message to the World by Anthony Vega, and this season's show art is by Winston Yabo. Find the show at truestory.fm, and if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, please consider doing that for our show. Listener.